Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, continuing our series on IEEE blockchain and AI uh, related again to cybersecurity, your host, Christopher Gorog, today. And uh, our guest we're bringing on to talk about this topic has some deep experience in the area, Orlando Lopez, who uh, has a PhD and a certified project manager, works for the National Institute of Health and the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, got his PhD at the Mayo Clinic, and uh, for quite a few years worked on with the FDA medical devices in the medical device innovation space. Orlando, welcome today. Thanks for joining Thank you so much, Chris. Really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to be with here with you today. Definitely, and definitely look forward to this chat. Um, Orlando, give us your background. I mean, you started out somewhere, and uh, you have quite an extensive kind of uh, history here. But how did you get your start? What were your interests that led to you diving in the direction you did? Uh, yeah, so it's been a, an interesting ride so far. Uh, you know, very non-linear, unexpected path, uh, very non-traditional, especially for uh, someone in the PhD uh, sort of space. Uh, and maybe not so much right now for early stage, uh, you know, graduate students. But back when I was in, uh, in graduate school, the traditional path was either to become a academic uh, researcher or, uh, you know, going to industry. Um, so I decided to take a bit of a a different path, uh, they, they called the alternative path at that point. Um, and so I uh, became a, you know, I went into uh, biomedical engineering early on, both as an undergrad and, and graduate student. And I was really uh, very excited and very passionate about uh, the uh, application of engineering principles to, to address medical issues. And uh, it, it was either that or, or going into like orthopedic uh, medicine and so it kind of became uh, you know obvious to me at, at, especially at the graduate student level that uh, I was more passionate about the technology development side of things um, so yeah so I did uh, research and development for for some time uh, my by training I specialized in medical imaging uh, especially around uh, magnetic resonance imaging a number of different modalities and it was really interesting to apply you know the different imaging technologies to a number of different uh, medical problems and also uh, preclinical development. Uh, so that really gave me a, a really uh, exciting opportunity to, to get involved with a number of different clinical specialties like uh, orthopedics, uh, cardiovascular, uh, dental, and, uh, and then that kind of you know, transitioned me to uh, a number of different opportunities, um, both you know, at the postdoctoral level um, at NIH where I Conducted some more specialized um, work in, in doing a high-level, high-magnet uh, MRI uh, for animal uh, studies, um, and then I became very interested about the business of science. And so I, I did some courses on uh, technology transfer, and then that's kind of really opened my eyes to some of the opportunities and, and the significant issues that you know are, are needed to uh, be carried out to actually bring new innovation to market. 
Um, I became aware of the FDA. I really, as a graduate student, didn't really know a whole lot about that. And then I learned that it was a you know really crucial part of of the path of the pipeline, you know, to to get products to market. So I um, started you know looking into it, and um, I was very fortunate that uh, early on in my career um, there was a new opportunity that came on at the FDA. Uh, it was a special uh, type of fellowship that was intended to train uh, scientists and, and medical professionals into the realm of of the policy regulatory aspects of bringing products to market. So I, I went into FDA as a commissioner's fellow for two years, and I really learned, you know, the, the ins and outs of, of medical device regulation, medical product regulation, and um, I was fortunate to, to stay on as a medical device reviewer, uh, a lead reviewer um, at the uh, Division for Cardiovascular Devices, and I was leading a number of the different uh, technologies around uh, dig- digital di- diagnostics, and that was sort of the, uh, the initial wave of a lot of digital health products. Uh, so I was very involved in uh, the, the reviews, leading a lot of the reviews for uh, a number of different technologies. And, and at some point, every, everything seemed to be wanting to be um, have some sort of wireless component. Uh, you know, everything just kind of went wireless for some reason, uh, you know, as we know. And, and here we are. Um, so that was the, uh, the really early stages of, um, you know, my, my, my uh, introduction to a lot of these technologies and, and you know, imaging technology uh, being a digital form of, uh, of platforms uh, in, in many aspects uh, really helped me um, solidify my background, both in the hardware and computational aspects, uh, to bring that to bear of this new uh, wave of technologies. So I stayed on uh, at, uh, at FDA and, uh, you know, really got exposed to a wide range of, of technologies. And, you know, it's really exciting to see some of those uh, in the market now. Uh, but then uh, I was fortunate to transition to um, NIH, where back to NIH, where I am currently. I've been there for about five years, and uh, I had the opportunity to uh, dive into the dental space. So I'm at the uh, National uh, Institute for Dental and Craniofacial Research, where I lead a uh, technology development portfolio around uh, a materials development. Uh, also, uh, those materials get functionalized into new biosensing technologies that, you know, eventually become um, sensors by IoT type of wearable technologies that could help uh, functionalize and, and detect a number of different biomarkers and parameters within the oral cavity. And the goal there is to be able to um, detect, monitor, uh, diagnose, and help, you know, assess uh, oral health, but also as an opportunity to access the uh, oral cavity uh, we are able to also uh, gain insights into the rest of the body and so start making correlations between oral health and, and the rest of, of the, body, the body, the overall health. Um, uh, there is also a, a lot Let's of opportunities for doing Take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back in a minute. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. 
Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Orlando Lopez, uh, and he was going through his background and uh, with the uh, NIH, and we'll let you kind of finish where you're at now, what you do, and I want to unpack some of that IoT and the medical devices. Go ahead, finish your background there. Uh, sure, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I've been, uh, you know, again, very involved in, in uh, leading a number of initiatives um, around the development uh, a, of a new biosensing technologies that uh, can get functionalized to, to leverage the accessibility of the oral cavity to the rest of the body so that we can, uh, you know, capture, you know, very rich sets of information uh, about health and disease um, and be able to, to take that into the context of uh, diagnostics uh, as well as uh, therapeutics and, and monitoring, you know, uh, patients across the board. Um, also, uh, we were very involved in uh, leading a number of other digital technologies, especially in the context of uh, digital dentistry. So uh, merging um, the uh, imaging or, or, you know, a number of different digital uh, information that can be, um, you know, really put together in the context of potentially like digital twins, you know, that can represent a, a a patient's um, uh, health status or, or disease status, you know, but to be able to like really capture uh, a profile of the patient and then take that information and, um, um, you know, apply other types of intelligence system uh, you know, capabilities uh, to help uh, therapeutic planning um, and also like surgical navigation systems and bringing together, you know, additional um, fabrication technologies like additive manufacturing, and other advanced, uh, you know, fabrication methods like stereolithography, uh, with uh, optimized materials that can then help enable uh, the production of uh, personalized uh, devices uh, that can, you know, be used, uh, you know, in the operating table or the, at the chair side, you know, which is sort of the setting for for dentistry. So, you know, we're really bringing together all these different technologies to uh, to bear uh, and to improve overall patient care. Yeah, so the big interesting thing I hear is how much the government programs are involved with this. When you usually think of the 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 onset of technology and innovation mm-hmm. as a commercial thing, how is that role of the government and companies? How does that? How do you work together? Where does that line between what's the government, what's the companies? How does that settle? Sure, sure. Thank you for for the question. So, um, so also as. Uh, Another hat, so I wear uh, you know a number of hats uh, within within my agency, and and one of my hats is uh, serving as the coordinator for our small business program, and so uh, in, in in reality uh, the NIH uh, you know the National Institutes of Health is the biggest uh, investor uh, in biomedical research in the world, you know our budget is uh, over thirty billion dollars uh, a year, and uh, uh, roughly well actually about eighty uh, percent of that goes out to fund uh, academic and uh, small business research and development, you know, across the board. So we are very involved, you know, in um, the early stage innovation um, from the very early uh, basic research and discovery uh, across the pipeline, you know, to the translational sciences and the applied sciences that actually make it into innovations. Uh, and the hope is to translate all those to, to human uh, use. And, and there is, you know, of course, the pipeline that goes into the regulatory side of things. Uh, in order to get products to market. Um, so my background with the regulatory um, aspects, you know, to medical device development 
uh, you know, really comes to bear on, on a daily basis uh, to, to really help uh, guide and advise uh, new innovators, um, you know, that actually are looking to bring new products to market. So with, with the investment that you said that you make into small business startup research, the government doesn't own any of those. It's just like grants and programs to spar, spar innovation, to have that technology for patient care, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we, we fund, you know, a number of different grants, uh, opportunity uh, grants, uh, contracts. Um, and also there's a significant about investment uh, in uh, workforce development in terms of uh, training and career development, um, you know, from like very early stages, even like high school level. Uh, you know, we, we really want to create the uh, incentivize the, the pipeline of, uh, of the workforce, you know, that, that is very much needed, you know, to be able to to keep us, you know, on the cutting edge of, of innovation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So now if you look at that stack and that, how, where does cybersecurity and privacy fit in? Where do you address that? At what points, what levels, how does that touch your, your kind of scope? Yeah, well, um, it, the, the opportunities for uh, cybersecurity, I mean, really come across the board, you know, uh, across the entire pipeline, you know, from very basic research, uh, all the way through the translational and, and the clinical research. And then, of course, you know, once product, once products get to market, you know, in the commercial side of things, you know, there's a number of different considerations there. But um, early early stages uh, of life science research, of course, you know, really um, are critical, you know, to uh, protect a lot of the uh, intellectual property uh, that, that comes to bear, you know, when these products are, at the early stages of discovery and, and design and, and you know R and D, um, but also uh, in the context of uh, a number of the different like um, living organisms, uh, animal models, uh, and then human subjects that are part of this uh, life science research pipeline. Um, so so really you know it really comes to um, to play in, in a number of different aspects you know in the in the pipeline. And uh, I think, uh, you know, of course, now we're at an inflection point uh, in, in this, uh, a number of these different technologies and, and really being able to leverage a lot of this digital infrastructure. Um, so there is, of course, a lot of opportunities, a lot of challenges for uh, cybersecurity. Uh, there's a lot of threats, you know, ongoing. And, and being part of the government, you know, we, we I, I don't really have to deal with that, but I know that our, uh, you know, CIOs are, are very much... Uh, you know, involved and, and engaged on a daily basis. Yeah, I think uh, we know. just had your CIO on a couple of weeks ago. He, he might air before or after you, but okay. uh, we definitely have just talked to him. Let's take a break, though. We got to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back in a minute. Blockframe technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Orlando Lopez, uh, a PhD who has uh, works with the Health and Human Services in the, uh, the the National Institute of Health, 
uh, in the pipeline for new products, new developments. Um, IoT device is a big thing. I was surprised how much you, your your connection was with that. But now when we look at, uh, you know, kind of our, our, our pretense for the show was connecting security uh, using blockchain, AI, and the newer, newer developments and, and cap- possibilities. Where do you see that connection coming in with blockchain and AI in the medical industry for all the things in your scope? Yeah, well, really, um, I think, well, the way that things are moving in the, in the medical industry and in the healthcare space in general, um, you know, down to patient care, is really to to maximize and enable value-based care, right? Um, as opposed to um, just uh, doing uh, fee-for-service type of care. And so um, the digital infrastructures that you know, are currently emerging in terms of blockchain and AI capabilities, um, I think are really at the forefront of enabling that value-based care uh, by uh, really cutting down a lot of inefficiencies. I think, uh, uh, I don't recall the exact number, but I think it's something like 25% of, of the multi-trillion dollar um, cost of healthcare right now uh, really goes to waste uh, in terms of inefficiencies, uh, both from the operational level and then also um, the, the lack of, of accessibility to, to information and to data sharing you know, across the different silos. So it is very much a siloed uh, industry. And, uh, and then enabling uh, data sharing in a way that uh, it's uh, governed uh, you know, and managed uh, appropriately, I think it's uh, really uh, the, the most uh, enabling capabilities that blockchain and AI bring to bear. So governance, uh, security, auditability, um, and, and traceability um, really, I think, are, are at the forefront of these technologies. But also, you know, being digital technologies uh, enable significant capabilities for uh, computational power. And so being able to not only share data, uh, but actually be able to, to manage process and uh, interpret the data, especially in the huge data sets that are emerging from across the board. And so if you can imagine the types of, uh, of uh, the loads of data that uh, actually get accumulated uh, during the process of life science research, you know, to actually be able to, um, that's why it's called research because you just have to keep searching. And so to, to, to get to a point where you get a final product, you know, out to market, that product has been optimized, you know, significantly. Uh, through a number of different experimental, um, you know, processes and procedures. So the loads of data that are emerging from the uh, life science research activities uh, is significant. And, uh, you know, the, the capabilities of AI, machine learning, deep learning, really enable us to, um, to, to do uh, something with that data. You know, uh, there's a lot of issues with legacy data uh, that, uh, you know, prior to the boom of, of AI uh, becoming, uh, you know, more commonplace. Uh, so there's a lot of legacy data that uh, in some cases now makes it very difficult to, to um, you know, to use. But uh, it, now we are at a point where we really need to understand um, that data structuring, data engineering is very important to maximize the value of these technologies, uh, you know, AI uh, and, and machine learning. And so, you know, the, the better that we can structure these data flows and understand the life cycle of data and then incorporate different elements of blockchain and AI into that pipeline will really help advance, you know, all the efficiencies that are needed to bring products to market 
in a way that is um, robust, safe, effective, but also uh, in, in, uh, with quality in mind. You know, I think uh, the quality is, is really important across the pipeline. Um, you know, there's a, an old mantra in, uh, in engineering, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? And so, um, you know, of course, I mean, these are very promising technologies. But, uh, but we need to uh, keep in mind that there is a significant challenge and, and significant uh, scrutiny that needs to take place uh, to make sure that uh, these, these platforms um, perform in the way that they're intended to. So there's a lot of effort that is needed to go into the verification and validation of, of their performance. Um, and especially with uh, the, the ability for, you know, really like deep learning, more advanced tools. Uh, you know, they, they are continuously learning. And uh, so the targets in a way could drift. Uh, and, and then we may get to a point where we don't really understand, you know, what the outputs are, are going to be. So to be able to, um, to keep up with, uh, with that aspect in quality, we need to make sure that there is iterative design, iterative optimization, iterative, you know, checkpoints uh, across the pipeline to, to ensure that uh, you know, the outputs from these uh, platforms are reliable. Um, another perspective, I think, in terms of the, of the cybersecurity issue that, that uh, you know, is definitely, um, I think, a, a main uh, interest uh, for the audience here is uh, that these platforms um, are really, I think, uh, significant enablers uh, for risk mitigation. And so, you know, you can combine them uh, and converge, you know, a, a lot of these technologies, and that's kind of where we're getting to now. Uh, but, uh, you know, being able to uh, mitigate risk, uh, well, both identify risks and, and then um, analyze and evaluate the risk to come up with robust mitigation strategies across the board, I think is an incredibly important value added of, of these platforms. Interesting. So when we talk about silos and, and kind of breaking down, adding communication capability is a big function of this. Do you see that as between companies and other companies? different research institutions or mo mostly between the government and the, and the, and the companies, where do you see the most value there? Cause I know a lot of times companies don't want to share with other companies and that might be, be a hindrance, but where do you see that value coming in for that breaking silos and, and sharing across boundaries? Yeah. Uh, thank you for that question. It's a very interesting question. Uh, and, and I'm actually um, one of the uh, leads for um, one of the IEEE standard uh, subgroups uh, on interoperability of clinical IoT um, and uh, with TIPS, which stands for Trust, Identity, Protection, uh, Privacy, um, uh, Security, Safety. And so uh, the interoperability aspect, uh, you know, across data, but also across systems and across governance structures, uh, you know, is really critical. Um, and so we have a number of different uh, uh, concerns, you know, of course, you know, to be able to interoperate all these different aspects to make the most out of the data, uh, it's really important. So there is considerations to have uh, both private and public uh, you know, infrastructures, uh, you know, when it comes to blockchain, uh, but also, uh, you know, context of, um, or potential solutions that could uh, enable infrastructure for federated learning, where we could have uh, a different uh, different uh, configurations where the data is not necessarily going anywhere, but we'll be sharing the capability to to analyze and crunch that data, right? 
so de-identifying the data that uh, that I think uh, you know are important in, important implications you know to the de-identification of data, especially uh, in the context of clinical research, uh, you know patient care. So there's a lot of opportunities there, um, but I think uh, the interoperability of of data and systems uh, is really uh, I think at the cornerstone of uh, enabling and maximizing the value of these technologies, but there is the people element you know, mm -hmm. uh, that, that really also need to come to play. Uh, so we need to build in incentives to, um, uh, to these organizations, both at the private and public level, uh, to be able to come together uh, to develop uh, a functional governance structures that uh, are able to, to enhance and maximize and enable, of course, the, the sharing of, of data across the board uh, while uh, the different stakeholders are able to retain some ownership or, or the value of the contributions. So I think that that's an, also an important consideration here, um, you know, the, the shifting in who owns data uh, and, and, and who is going to be able to access that data and what the data is going to be doing in the future. It's interesting you talked about the the uh, the de-emphasis or I forget what you called it, but taking the individual individualized content out of the data and making the stuff the the parts of the data that uh, is uniform across the different entities visible. Um, expand on that and say you know explain what that means in your scope. What you know if you're developing standards, would it be hey here's a set of information if we take this out. We leave the rest in. We have information that everybody can use, but it doesn't tell you who they are or what they're doing. Explain that a little bit. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So, a, an example, uh, you know, now that is very much uh, at play is the the concept of uh, dynamic content for for patient data. So, uh, you know, maybe uh, you go to the doctor, uh, or you went to the doctor like 10, 20 years ago. Uh, you might get a form that says, okay, would you like you know, your data to be used for clinical research purposes? And so if you say yes, okay, then that's pretty much it. You don't really know anything about how your data is going to be used in the future, right? Uh, but now the, the, the concept uh, of, of dynamic consent will be uh, something that if the patient will be able to actually have ownership of their data and be able to, to consent as to how that data is going to be used, who's going to be able to access that for how long, uh, and in what manner, and then also what's going to happen to that data. So, you know, the blockchain and AI infrastructures will enable um, a person or an entity to be able to, to really um, set the rules, you know, as to uh, how that data is going to be used, and, and also maybe to get attribution to uh, the contribution of that data. Uh, that is also the case for scientific research. Um, so if researchers are able to, to share data and, and contribute data to you know, repositories or new data um, databases, uh, to be able to get attribution uh, to the contributions of that data you know, in, in uh, journal publications, uh, peer review, uh, patents, you know, and, and of course, the protection for intellectual properties is very important. So there's a number of different opportunities, challenges there, but I think the uh, the capabilities that these platforms bring to bear uh, is really significant. And, and we're only, uh, I think, scratching the surface at this point. 
uh, on, 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 on what's coming. So it's, it's a very exciting uh, inflection point, uh, you know, uh, to be in, especially uh, in, in this space right now. Yeah, interesting. Well, kind of as we move towards the close here, um, anything that you need help with? I know you're the IEEE group. If you need uh, participation there or whatever, kind of give a shout out to people in our audience might join, how they could get a hold of you uh, and what types of people you need to, to, to reach out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's a great, a great question. Uh, and, and definitely, of course, you know, we always need great minds to, <laughs> to come together and, uh, and crack some of these complex issues. So uh, some of the work that I'm involved with uh, with the IEEE uh, in terms of the standards development is the uh, P2933 uh, standard on, on uh, tips and clinical IoT. And, uh, you know, folks are able to reach me through my LinkedIn, Orlando Lopez. Um, and, um, you know, definitely happy to and welcome, you know, anybody that's willing to contribute to the effort. Uh, we have a number of different subgroups. Uh, right now we have been, um, yeah, th this particular um, IEEE initiative has been going on for a little over a year and uh, we have, you know, it's a, it's a global effort. So uh, folks, you know, come together from across the board uh, to really uh, understand a lot of the, you know, security, identity, privacy protection issues. And, uh, you know, definitely uh, the more mental power, mind power that we have to, um, to come together and, of course, to break up the barriers and understanding how we can resolve a lot of these interoperability issues uh, is very important. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining today, Orlando. And you heard it here today on New Cyber Frontier. Thank you. Uh, but now the, the, the concept uh, of, of dynamic consent will be uh, something that if the patient will be able to actually have ownership of their data and be able to, to consent as to how that data is going to be used, who's going to be able to access that for how long. Uh, and in what manner, and then also what's going to happen to that data. So, you know, the blockchain and AI infrastructures will enable um, a person or an entity to be able to, to really um, set the rules, you know, as to uh, how that data is going to be used and, and also maybe to get attribution to uh, the contribution of that data. Uh, that is also the case for scientific research. Um, so if researchers are able to, to share data and, and contribute data to you know, repositories or new data um, databases, uh, to be able to get attribution uh, to the contributions of that data, you know, in, in uh, journal publications, uh, peer review, uh, patents, you know, and, and of course the protection for intellectual properties is very important. So there's a number of different opportunities, challenges there, but I think the uh, the capabilities that these platforms bring to bear uh, is really significant. And, and we're only, uh, I think, scratching the surface at this point uh, on, 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 on what's coming. So it's, it's a very exciting uh, inflection point, uh, you know, uh, to be in, especially uh, in, in this space right now. Yeah, interesting. Well, kind of as we move towards the close here, um, anything that you need help with, I know you're the IEEE group. If you need uh, participation there or whatever, kind of give a shout out to people in our audience might join, how they could get a hold of you uh, and what types of people you need to, to, to reach out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's a great, a great question. Uh, and, and definitely, of course, you know, we always need great minds to, <laughs> to come together and, uh, and crack some of these complex issues. So uh, some of the work that I'm involved with uh, with the IEEE uh, in terms of the standards development is the uh, P2933 uh, standard on, on uh, tips and clinical IoT. And, uh, you know, folks are able to reach me through my LinkedIn, Orlando Lopez. 
Um, and, uh, you know, definitely happy to and welcome, you know, anybody that's willing to contribute to the effort. Uh, we have a number of different subgroups. Uh, right now we have been, um, yeah, th this particular um, IEEE initiative has been going on for a little over a year. And uh, we have, you know, it's a, it's a global effort. So uh, folks, you know, come together from across the board uh, to really uh, understand a lot of the, you know, security, identity, privacy protection issues. And, uh, you know, definitely uh, the more mental power, mind power that we have to, um, to come together. And of course, to break up the barriers and understanding how we can resolve a lot of these interoperability issues uh, is very important. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining today, Orlando. And you heard it here today on New Cyber Frontier. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.